Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Brandon Dinsmore, and he's going to tell us about his near-death experience. Hi, Brandon. Hey. So I have another guest here. Oh, <laughs> cute. And she's she's a Manx cat. Uh huh. So she doesn't have a tail. Beautiful. And so uh, gentle. She is. She's very nice. Very sweet. That is a keeper on cats. I've had some not so friendly. Yeah, they're um, they kind of hop around and gallop like a horse. Cool. The way that they run around and stuff, they're really cute. Um, but yeah, so thanks for having me on the show, Peggy. Oh, you're welcome. It's great. Um, I've seen a few episodes, and I'm really excited to be here. So, thank cool. you. So you can start wherever you like and take as long as you like. Okay. Uh, let's see. So uh, let's start back in 2014. So in 2014, January, um, I was going through really bad withdrawals. So I had been um, diagnosed with arthritis and Crohn's disease when I was 14 years old and um, was put on pain medication, opiate pain medication at like 15. So <clears throat> struggled with that for years. And um, I had a back surgery in college in New York and uh, would was taking more medication than I was prescribed. Was that for the arthritis? That was for a back surgery that I had. Yeah, but I mean, what, why'd you have to have back surgery so young? Um, I had uh, two ruptured discs wow. in my low spine and was in a lot of pain. Um, and I remember that I got the surgery and uh, I was going to Vassar college and like, I didn't even graduate high school. So it was a challenge for me to go to that school. And I had back surgery while I was there. And the next day I was doing a chemistry exam. So, um, I was taking more pain medicine than I was prescribed. And then I'd run out of the pain medicine and be in horrible pain. So I started doing heroin and was introduced to that during school. So after graduation, um, I was in my mother's apartment and I was going through really bad withdrawals. By that time I had been put on methadone and it's a powerful narcotic. Uh, and I ran out early again and I was in really bad pain and the anxiety, just overwhelming anxiety. Like I just can't stop thinking about this drug and I need more to control my pain. And I'm always running out early and it's just a nightmare. So, um, I finally, my, my hookup came over and brought me some heroin and then he left and <clears throat> I did a, did some heroin and, um, finally the nightmare was over, right? Like the screaming voices just kind of calmed down and like this peace came over me and I was just a sigh of relief. Oh, it's finally over. And then I realized that I was dying. I don't know if there was fentanyl in the drug or what it was, if I just had too much, but I was passing away and <clears throat> that's when I left my body and I was standing beside myself looking down on my mother's couch where I was laying and I was just wondering like, okay, 
So now my life's over. What was the point? Like, what was the point of my life up to that point? And uh, just looking at my body. <clears throat> and then I felt a presence. Like, I just felt that someone was there standing beside me or above me, off to the side. And um, that's when the whole scene changed. And it was like um, Star Trek, like the holodeck from Star Trek. I don't know if any of you have seen or are into Star Trek, but they have this holodeck that can create any reality that you desire. It can bring you to any place. It can allows you to talk to any person that you want. And it's like this advanced holographic computer program. So that's what it was like. The whole scene changed and I was shown like this alternate reality um, where I didn't exist. So I was shown like all of the people that were affected by my death. And in particular, I remember my mother and she, her finding my dead body. So this was like going in the future if you had died. Exactly. You're the only one besides me that experienced that. Interesting. I've not talk to anybody else that experienced that. Yeah, I did a post, um, I think in your Facebook group, and people were saying that it was an unusual kind of experience that they hadn't heard of that before. <clears throat> so I, I don't know. Have you ever heard of that happening to anybody else besides no. us? No. no. It, later on, years later, I look back, I thought, wait a minute. It's like the, the um, Christmas Carol where they go into the future and see what your life would look like if you died, which you're thinking you're not going back. You think this is the future. Right. Yeah, it was like Christmas Carol. Like uh, the ghost of Christmas future or something. Yes. But um, yeah, I remember seeing my mother and she found my dead body and there was like pus running down my cheek and she found my, like came in from like um, being out, came into her apartment, found my dead body and she was just, the look on her face and just weeping and saying, and then she was screaming, my boy, my little baby. My little baby boy. So that hit me. I was just like, whoa. Did you feel her pain? I felt her pain. Yeah, I did mine too. And my son, in my experience, just like yours, I felt my son's pain. And then I was showing other people and their pain from it as well other family members wow. and i was then i was transported to another reality where i was shown like all of the experiences that i would wouldn't have like if i had um if if i hadn't died i would have this whole life ahead of me with all of these people that i was going to meet um get married have a baby, like help a lot of different people, have different friends. I was shown all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden I was back in the room again, looking down at my body and the presence was there. And I heard the presence say, now your life is over and you've wasted it. 
And I was like, at that point, I was like kind of in a panic. And I started begging, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Please just let me live. Give me another chance. I will do whatever is necessary <laughs> to, um, to overcome this addiction. And I don't care how hard it is. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Just give me another chance. And then bam, back in my body gasping for breath. That will never leave you till the day you die again, will it? <laughs> it will not. And it was really the beginning of a whole new existence. Right. And um, I went into a seven-day detox after that at the hospital. Had to learn how to tie my shoelaces again. It was like that bad. Like my brain just was not working. And um, had to live figure out a whole new way to live in the world. But I mean, since then, you know, I've, I have a baby on the way, married the love of my life, bought a house, you know, started a business, I'm helping people. And I'm really like, I finally have this sense of peace and just being okay in my own skin. I feel like we need a sign above our heads that says proof of God's mercy, you know, like we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be given a second chance. So many aren't. And it's such, for me anyway, it's such an overwhelming thing that I was given my life back. When you've been shown. What so would you, would you share your experience? Cause I'm not familiar um, with. I was 25. I, um, I can go on this here. I had a tubal pregnancy, uh, internal bleeding, and um, right before the hospital, the pain faded in a real strange way. I knew I was dying, and when we got to the hospital, I died I died in the hallway as a nurse was pushing me back to a room. My husband was staying to fill out the papers, and this was in 1986, so there was no such thing that I knew of as near-death experience or any of that, you know. And suddenly I'm through this tunnel and it's loud, you know, I was way up through space and Star Trek was the only thing my mind could equate that to, you know, some, some resource of what is this, you know, is when you watch Star Trek and they're out in the spaceship in space, you know, cause we're not in space. We've never experienced that. Right. So I'm suddenly in the bright white light and, um, there's a panel of people I could just make out outlines. But the thing was, is I was told it was my time. The answer was no, I wasn't going back. And I've not heard, you know, other people being told that, um, you know, since I've heard a lot of stories, the answer was no, you know, like, kind of like you, it was final. Like you wasted your life. You know, this was it, this was done. And that finality, when you had that, cause I, I just connected you so much. Cause you know what that finality is that final, it's it. Earth is down there. You're here is done. And you have this guilt because I had got my tubes tied when I was 20 because my husband was going to divorce me if I didn't. So we had two kids. He didn't want no more. Mm. And I wanted a big family. And so I did it to save my marriage. And then five years later, I felt like I had reversed. And the re tubal reversal surgery, there's a slight chance of tubal pregnancy. And I got that. So I totally blamed myself. You know, I caused my death. I caused my twins to die. And now I'm, you know, leaving my son's motherless. And I was abused growing up. So... My, my, it's like my kids are down there with the wolves. 
And my mother going to raise these people, you know, the abuser, my stepdad was still, no, my stepdad was gone then. But, um, you know, my um, ex um, and the father of my kids at the time, he, he just wasn't going to be a responsible person. He drank a lot, you know, et cetera. And so I had, it's like, I can't leave my kids down there. And I was told the answer was no. And so I pled my case and I said, okay, if you can um, show me, my kids will be better off without me for whatever reason. I agree to stay, but if not, I beg to return. And then I saw Jesus from behind. And I was I was a, uh, like invisible orb, but when I seen Jesus behind, when I moved up beside, stood beside him to go, I was in a physical body. And we dropped down just like that. We were above our trailer, and my three little boys was in the trailer because we had adopted my sister's, disabled sister's little one. So they gave me three kids. And they were discussing the fact that mom has died. And my middle son, Jeremy's very sensitive and very, very close to me. And he told his other brother, older brother, Matthew, he says, I don't care that you say mom is dead. I want her back and I want her back right now. And I felt like you felt your mom. I felt his pain and I retracted. I couldn't take it. I retracted. I'm sobbing in the, in, in front of this panel of people now. And, and I believe this is God sitting in front and center because there's one sitting in front and center. And, but now it's like Jesus sitting beside God. And I recognize him because I just, you know, like had this experience with him. And I'm sobbing at his feet. And I say, who else will teach them about you? And my physical hands are in front of my body. So I have a body. And then I'm back in a wheelchair. And I'm, what wow. in the world was that? You know? And you've never heard of anybody else having an experience no. like that. No. And I didn't tell anybody for months. And finally, you know, I had the emergency surgery the next morning. I was filled with internal bleeding, you know. And um, later I was told that um, I kept passing, passing out like I did when I died uh, during the night when they kept me. But because um, they told me there's nothing wrong. And I said, I'm not going home because I don't want my kids to find me dead. And so they, you know, found out the next morning. But. In the meantime, I kept passing out, and then after a while, passing out during that night in hospital bed, I realized I was dying each time. I never had another near-death experience, but I realized I was dying each time, and so finally I said, God, I know you can't keep bringing me back. You know, I realize now I'm telling God something he can't do, but I said, I know you can't keep bringing me back. Please keep me alive till morning. Maybe my doctor will come in early and do an ultrasound and find out what's wrong. And because I told him it was a dual pregnancy, and I went there, and they said, hey, it's not a dual pregnancy, my doctor said. He said, I did an ultrasound, both babies, I was praying for twins, are in the uterus. Well, when I had the internal bleeding, then they realized what happened. One baby's in the uterus, and one was half in and half stuck in the tube. Mm. And so that's why it looked like they were both in, and it wasn't caught before. But, yeah, I was dead, and like you. And But the thing is, you know, is that feeling to carry with you. I mean, I'm 61, you're a young man. And I'm still, the older I get, the more I realize and appreciate the impact that, you know, a lot of women die of two pregnancies. A lot of people die of heroin overdose. My nephew died of a heroin overdose, you know? And then we sit here talking about what it was like to be dead. And whether people believe us or not, we know. It's not a belief, it's a no. And it's such a strange, I don't know about you, but as the older I get, the stranger and more impactful it gets. Hmm. Like you interpret it in a new, different way? I am filled with gratitude. 
that I was allowed to raise my boys. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people take that for granted. But when you're dead and you're a young parent and you want to raise those children and you can't, and when you know it's because your mistake, it's horrifying. You know, like you felt, you know, you didn't do much with your life. I kind of had that feeling too. Like, what did I do with my life? My boys are little. They're soon going to forget me. I was like, I, I was like, I never existed. And so as I get older, I, and now we've just retired, it's even stronger now because I feel like, how much time do I have left? I'm 61. Do I have five years, 10 years? Do you know of us? No, we could die today, right? And so it's just like, I got to do something while I'm here. I wrote my memoir five years ago. It's like, I've got to leave something here on earth. So when I go, people will know. You know, because I, you know, at 25 and dead, I'd not really spoke about the abuse. I'd not really let people know how I was feeling, what I was going through. I was just very withdrawn and just took a lot of abuse. And you're like my ex saying, you got to get your tubes tied or we're divorced. Man, I didn't want to do that. And I begged him the whole nine months I was pregnant, you know, that would happen when I had the second C-section. Please don't make me do this. Mm. And I'm sitting there, you know, before the C-section scheduled the day before, because it's repeat C-section, is... I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And that turmoil, I'll never forget it, you know? And I did that. And then after, after I got fixed, so this is besides the point, then my ex was like threatened to divorce me over stupid stuff and for no reason. And his family had beat me up and, you know, all this stuff. And I, I gave away such a precious thing, you know, the ability to have children. I gave that up. And even though I didn't want to, and so I'm hoping, you know, there's so many parts of our stories, your story, you know, maybe someone involved in heroin hear your story or maybe somebody, whatever, you know, and I hope that somewhere, not just in your death experience, but somebody might hear, wait a minute, you know, we are so blessed to give, be given the opportunity to raise our children. There's so many people don't get to, you know, think of all the women that died in childbirth, you know, of course, like you, the, the drug epidemic, so many weren't given this chance. And when you are, it's like, what do you do with this? It feels like God has given you such a huge, beautiful treasure, like on a silver platter. Now, you know, I, reg- I'm so, but you know, after, after the experience though, I, you know, I was kind of, um, I had to face a lot of problems after getting out of that detox. And face all of these inner demons, fears, resentments, um, insecurity, just so many different things. Um, <clears throat> I had to go through this process in order to really live the life that I was meant to live. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It don't happen like that. It don't. I mean, God bless the people that are, but most of us, we struggle. You know, I didn't tell my story for months. And then after that, you know, they just looked back, how weird to me, hurt me. So I kept it quiet. And then decades, decades, nothing. And then the internet, and I started finding out other people are talking. And then I still didn't realize, even though I read a couple NDE books and watched I Survived and Back and, and watched some stuff on IONS, you know, I thought, finally one day hit me. Is that what mine was? Is that what mine was called? Because so different from what I was hearing. And it took a while. I was like, wait a minute. That mine was a near-death experience. And I can talk about it. 
Yeah. Why do you think, um, why do you think people are having these near death experiences? And, um, cause I know that not everybody has them. Right. So what do you think the reason is behind it? After the tunnel, my first moment, the bright white light, before I seen the outline of this panel of people and stuff, anything happened, I was just there alone. And I was looking in this white light. And I was, my thought was, you know, I look down, there's no me. And I'm thinking, wow, it's real. The whole Bible, God, you know, everything, Jesus is real. Because I wasn't in the casket clawing my way out like I feared, you know, because of the scary movies. Um, I mean, of course, in church and stuff, you know, I heard of heaven. I couldn't imagine that. And I always thought, I thought, you know, the Bible said that um, we all, like one day, we all rise at the same time. I didn't think you went individually, you know, at your death. You know, I, it wasn't all respected. But so, well, to answer your question, so my first moment in the bright white light, I thought, wow, it's real, real. I wish I could tell people it was real. And I'm looking around this white light. And I say, God... You know, as if you're praying, because I don't think God's right there. I don't know this yet, right, that they're there. But I'm saying, God, you need to see send people back. <clears throat> you need to send some people back, <clears throat> excuse me, and tell them this is real. I mean, yeah, we have the Bible, but it's getting old and outdated, and people don't read it anymore, and they're not believing in it. Send some people back as witnesses so they can tell this is real. Of course, I didn't put that together for decades. Like, wait a minute, I said that. That was my first thought, other than why am I alone? Am I going to be alone for eternity? You know, I'm alone here. What, did, I, did I do something wrong? Why am I alone? And then, you know, then things went on. But I believe we are to tell. We are to tell what we saw. We're witnesses for God and for heaven. And, and, and heaven help those that embellish, lie, make up stuff. Because to me, you are bearing false witness about God, about what God is, what heaven is. Heaven help you. I mean, I would not. And I even, you know, think, you know, I'm so, I feel so guilty for all those years. I was afraid to talk about this. Hmm. You know, I was given this and I wasn't talking about it. But, you know, you know, it's like, you know, you didn't have words. You they didn't have the Internet. You didn't know it was called something. You didn't know other people experienced it. And then when I did know that, I didn't know that that's what mine was. Yeah. So and then once I the first time I told it in public, I mean, it took me months to even go to a group that talked about these things because it was just it was like coming out of the closet that you're gay. I mean, I was so scared to come out. You look like a crazy person. But then in my heart, I'm like, I don't care. I have got to share this. I've got to be, you know, show my God my appreciation. And and the first time I told, I was like, I was levitating. And I was like hooked ever since. Because like even right now, talking to you about it, it's like I get, like when I do this with my hands, I actually feel I'm in the light, like I can touch it. The memory, when I talk about being in the light, and I don't know if you will, do that but it's like if you really focus on being there in that memory it's like i'm floating and i'm there again wow and i feel that close to god so we're letting people know that there are spiritual realities yeah this is the and truth like that it's not, real it's real mm. that was my first thought in a white light it's real 
so there's like a veil and you know people just kind of focus on what's in front of them and they don't realize that there are there's a whole other reality and once once you realize that reality you can start to see it in your life it's like if you don't ever see the color red and know the color red you'll never pick it out in anything but once you know it it's like then later as i start realizing and acknowledging like wait a minute i can see where god saved me here i can see this was a miracle i can see i can see i can see you know i can see all these things where god helped me throughout my life and there could have been a point in my life where i thought god's never helped me god was never there you just put us down here and leave us to fend for ourselves and then once we realize then i could see wait a minute you know because um, like after my second nde a few months later, I recalled my first NDE. I drowned when I was five and had a near-death experience. It wasn't heaven and all that or tunnel. It was out of body. I was this ghost kid doing all this stuff. And it came to me all at once like God showed me. I was looking at the night sky one night myself. And also like this big movie screen opened up. And when you were talking at the beginning about the thing in Star Wars, I'm going to have to watch that because that's really got my interest. I mean, I know that's fantasy, but that sounds so like what God is that he can produce these scenes out of the sky, out of the thin air, and show you. And in fact, in my 25-year-old NDE, after you know, I seen the panel of people, this scene opened up. And here's this scenario, which I didn't know these people, but it was this little boy in the in this store, and he was screaming mad, and his parents were saying, no, you can't have that. Something, something was feeding one of something. And that was God's way of showing me, this is how you're acting. Because as soon as I realized this panel of people and that was God sitting up front and center, I thought I had a complaint department. I had somebody to blame and scream at. Hell no, I won't go. You can't make me stay here. I got kids to raise. And I was like, ah, they're a big fit. And this scenario opened up. This little kid throwing a fit. And as a young mother, I believe that's God's way of showing me this is how you're acting. You need to settle down. And so I thought, okay, I'll try something else. Because I really, I really need to have my way, you know. I really need to go back and raise my kids. So then this invisible me I then see a physical me across, straight across from me. And she, you know, me, it's like one person, is standing there telling God all the abuses I went through, but it come out in one loud yell. And and, it, and when it come out, it's almost like a vomit. I know that sounds weird, but the way I can describe it. It's just like I'm out, like I started to tell it, all these abuses real fast. It's like somebody took a record player and sped it up real quick. And it's like God didn't have time for this, or we didn't have time for this, you know. And... And, it, and I felt like God understood. He knows. I didn't have to keep going. He knew. He knew everything that happened to me. But I was saying, this is why I can't leave my kids down there without a mother's love and protection. I didn't have it. I can't let any one thing that happened to me happen to my boys. I can't. I mean, I was a tight mother. I didn't let anybody babysit my kids. I was very, very protective. You know, as soon as the moment I was 18 homeless, pregnant, you know, and then we got married. And, and it's the moment that stick turned to pregnant, and, you know, at 18, I just graduated high school. I I stopped drinking, smoking, everything. You know, smoking pots, smoking cigarettes, drinking. Because I'm a mother. I got to do this right. And I just love, 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 love my baby so much. I would talk to him, go on walks, and rub my belly and talk to him. From the moment that stick turned, you know. And it was instant. And so I just love, love, love my kids so much. And, you know, they're in their 40s now. And I just love, love, love them. And they're children. And... And I just could not bear being away from him. 
And so, like I told you, what happened, you know, look in the future. And then, and then when I said, who else will teach them about you? I met my children because I thought I wasn't going back. I thought I had to pay for this mistake. And then I was back in that wheelchair. And the impact of being back in that wheelchair after your life's over, you done messed it up. You messed it up so daggone bad at 25. And to be back in that wheelchair and... I mean, it, I mean, it'll always, it'll always be in my heart. Did you go through a challenging time period after that? Well, I, right after that, you know, like you, you had the hospital stay to deal with. You had a lot longer than I did, <clears throat> excuse me, um, because I had surgery the next day, which removed my twins. And so I had the depression and probably some of the postpartum, even though you have that at two months pregnant, but I mean, I went through a depression. And here I have these three little boys and my life back, I should be happy. But this experience is tucked as far away from me as I can because I'm angry because I'm quickly pregnant again, like the next month. And I know in my head, I know without question, I thought I knew I was going to die this time. And I, I wanted another baby so bad, equally as bad as I wanted to raise my kids. And I could not choose to get fixed so this didn't happen again because now I have one tube left. <clears throat> and there was a high chance that that tube was going to cause your pregnancy. And so um, I, I was just, um, I was angry. I was so angry when I was pregnant the second time that I went out. I know I had these big, beautiful, tall flowers outside of my trailer. I took a hoe and just started chopping them. I was mad because... It sounds stupid, but at 25 and grieving, and nobody would talk to me about this. His family never said, I'm sorry. My family, nobody. My husband, he didn't want the baby anyway, you know, babies. And so, and I'm so sure I'm going to die that I, I just chopped him down, and I was so angry because I felt these flowers were just living and thriving and blooming, and, you know, life just goes on, and you're dead. And I was just angry with a situation that I could not control or talk about. And then I miscarried that one. But the moment I miscarried, um, right before I miscarried, we were at a family reunion and I heard a baby crying. And I, there was a big, huge family reunion, my ex's family. And um, I kept asking, going down the line, people in line to eat. I said, do you hear a baby crying? No, no. And they just kept looking at the food. Oh, what's that, what's that? Like these people don't care that I hear a baby crying? There's a baby crying out here. Nobody heard it. So I went out and I walked and I was in this field. I was like, I know I hear a baby cry. And something just told me to go over to this patch of grass. And I thought, a patch of grass, there's nothing over there. I went over and there's a little toddler drowning in that ditch. And I reached up back of his shirt and pulled him up. And he looked at me like, you know, see a ghost. Years, that was um, in 86, in 2010, I was a counselor. And I recognized one of my clients' last name. And I said, hey. Were you at the, did you go to those family reunions? Because I was divorced from the family by then. He's like, yeah. And I said, you know, and I told him this little story about this little boy down the dish. And he, he's a great big guy. And he leaned way back. He said, that was you? He said, that was my little brother. He swears to this day an angel saved him. He said, I can't wait to tell my mom we now know who that was. I said, no, no, an angel just me. But the thing was, it got me thinking, you know. Dear, I started saving lives after that two pregnancy and that miscarriage after that little boy. One day I was going down the road and I told my husband, I said, pull over. I got to go in that house. I knew who lives there. And I went and knocked on the door and 
oddly, it was my ex-sister-in-law. She was there babysitting at her sister's house, babysitting. And I, and she's, oh, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't know. I said, what are you doing? And she says, I'm babysitting my nephew. I said, where is he? Take me to him right now. And she took me to his bedroom. He was in her choke on Easter basket grass. And she's kind of just, um, I don't want to say mentally disabled, but she's kind of slow. And she says this day, if you had been there, he would have died. Because what'd she do while well, I'm grabbing him up and pulling the, the stuff out? She's going through the phone book looking to call, looking for the number to call her sister to say, I can't take care of him. He's too much trouble. You know? And so, but things like that kept happening. I kept saving lives there for a while. And then later, and then I don't know about you, but like as time went on, I started noticing I was changed. I felt smarter and wiser. Like my, I trust my instincts. And it's almost like you bring back a little something with you. And I didn't think of that then. You know, I look back now at then. I just know. I was like, well, I want to go to college. And I'm, everybody's telling me, you barely graduated high school. You were so stupid. You know, my mom brought this paper. Even says, look, Peg, how stupid you are. She says, your high school scores say the only thing you'd be good at is crafts. Like, you're too stupid. You can't go to college. But I really wanted to help abuse kids. And so I ended up becoming, I went to college, becoming a child abuse counselor or um, investigator. And then later, like a drug clinic, methadone clinic, I actually worked one of those before too. Um, but, you know, I did all these social service and counseling and stuff, careers, you know, maximum security, women's prison, da, da, da. And even actually in the hospital that I had died in when I was 25, you know, worked there for a while. But um, I look back now and I see how those instincts help me continue to save lives and help people. And um, I think it's such a disservice if somebody has an NDE and says, oh, I don't believe in those things like I did for so long and push it away. You're, you may have skills. You may have insights. You may have gifts that you're not even tapping into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe even a whole alternate life that is more beneficial and positive and rewarding right that you're just not aware of because i i really took that nde to heart and um kept going with it good and then there were more spiritual experiences that happened yes and then those put me on another path yes and um life can be a really wonderful thing so, I mean, if you're struggling and you're having a hard time, like it's possible to totally transform your life. And um, there are spiritual resources available to us. You might not be aware of it, but um, life can be really wonderful. And the power of ask, of asking God for what you need. It's amazing. Uh, so many times I have prayed and said, I know this is impossible. Just like when I was dying of the tubal pregnancy in a hospital that night. I know you can't keep bringing me back. You know, we think God, we think a situation is impossible. You know, I had a guy on here like last week who was drowning in the ocean. It was hopeless. There was no way he was getting out of this. And God said, ask, ask for help. And he's like, what? And so he asked God for help, and a dolphin pushed him up out of the ocean. And he held on his tail until a boat came along and rescued him. <laughs> I mean, there are miracles everywhere. If we have, we train, we do have to train our eyes to see them. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I don't believe in fantasy. I don't believe in, you know, having a vivid imagination, imagining things. It is, I believe it is, is a training. It is a fine line to mm-hmm. know the truth from a lie. Yeah. And you get to the point where you, you feel it. Like you, you just know that it's a sign or it's guidance or it's some kind of communication happening and you just feel it at a gut level. But you have to kind of practice that, hone that, pay attention. Yeah. And I hadn't had one of those um, knowings like in saving a life in so many years. And then two years ago, we come upon a sign that said road closed accident. And my husband got out to see, because it was close to our house, to see if we could go on down. And then he was our roads right there. And as, when he, as soon as he pulled in, I seen that sign and he hopped out. I knew. I just knew. It was a motorcycle accident. And it was just, they think it's just a man, but there was a woman on the back and she was thrown. And they don't know to look for her. I knew it. And my husband got in. I told him, I said, a motorcycle accident, wasn't it? He said, yeah. I said, they think it was just a man. He's like, yeah. He says, they said it was just a guy. And, you know, no, no. and I said, no, 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 there was a woman. And I, and I kept telling him, he's like, no, 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 no. And so I called my friend that lived near where I knew the accident was. I just knew. And, I, and she says, oh, yeah, the cops are down there. Things blocked off. And I said, but I really got to go down there. And I will always kick myself for not going because guess what? The next day, a son called and said, I think maybe my mom was on that motorcycle with the man that was killed because wow. we think maybe she was with him. She had went to see her son's grave and then i was on the way to or way back and and they found her body and i'm like could i have saved her but you know i'll never and people say oh you know just don't you know blame yourself i don't care i always will because i feel like this was god showing me pay attention Mm. it's because it happened in years don't mean it won't happen again if i'm called upon i need to be ready sometimes um like i i don't it sounds like that was like a direct, like you really knew, but sometimes it's hard to to figure out what we're being told, especially if we're full of a lot of trauma, a lot of resentment, a lot of anger, fear, right. all those different things. You so, like imagine. if we can if we can deal with those things that are inside of us, we can be more receptive to being a an agent. It's like we've been like a tool. We're a tool in the world to do good things for people. I think what I have come from that is I could have tested it. I could have said, okay, I'm probably crazy, but um, I'm going to go down there and I'm not going to interfere with the cops or anything. I knew a back road. I kept telling myself, I know this back road. I could end up right, you know, between this spot that's blocked off and, and I wouldn't get in anybody's way. I just feel like I need to be there. And let me tell you the truth. Uh, later, when I heard that the woman was killed, and, and I didn't were sure where they found her, but somewhere where this accident was, I went down that back road, and it was, if you come out that back road onto the highway where this was, it was in the hill, in the bank straight ahead. She would have been right there. If I would have went out that road I wanted to, she'd have been laying right in my view. Of course, they weren't looking for anybody else. They were taking care of this, you know, one person and it's so why do you think that happened and did you make a change after that was there something that shifted inside of you that needed to change it well at that moment i sat there in the car looking at this place and knowing now because of the news pinpointed where this was 
And I looked at that, you know, of course she's already gone and is to take care of. But I sat there and I'm thinking, God, why did this happen? Why am I sitting right here? And I didn't help, but yet I still feel led to do something and there's nothing more to do. I missed my chance. And then something just told me, but my son Jeremy has, the one that was crying at mama's died when he was little, mm -hmm. um, has a motorcycle. I called Jeremy and I said, Jeremy, I've been telling you to get rid of that motorcycle. I need you to get rid of that motorcycle right now. I never, I don't boss my kids. They're grown men, you know. I don't boss them. But once in a blue moon, if something's really important, the mom and me will come out and say, hey. <laughs> and I said, Jeremy, please. I said, you got to get rid of that motorcycle. He said, mom, I just sold it. I literally just sold it. <laughs> nice. So. Because I had seen another accident close to our road, and I just said, Jeremy, there's an accident out here, and every time I see a motorcycle accident, I think of you, and please get rid of that motorcycle. And he and he drug his feet, and hum hum around, never really said, you're committed. And so I was really surprised when it was already done. So maybe God moved him, you know. I don't know. Or works in mysterious ways, so... But yeah, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll uh, call my kids and, you know, I have a really bad feeling about, you know, please watch them around the pool. I'm just really scared. Or one day I was like, I'm really scared of um, my one granddaughter. She's going to be riding her bike and get hit by a car. Please just keep extra look out on her today. You know, and, and it doesn't have to mean that I go in and cause a problem middle of a, a crisis, right? Like interfere with a, you know, something. You can you can check on things and check on people without coming out and looking like a fool saying, I think this happened, this. But you can just call. How are you doing? Keep an extra eye on this. I've been reading about this lately or just kind of been on my mind lately. Just keep a, we can do that. We can take those hunches and take them that step forward and turn it into an action. Because, you know, so many times it's like, oh, no, this just happened. I was just thinking about this person. I meant to call them. Absolutely. Yeah. This is listening. Listening, staying receptive. Mm -hmm. And um, and if it's, if it's all cuckoo in our head, well, just find a way to casually just check. Yeah. And you'll get to the point where you know that you're not cuckoo. Yeah. Because I thought I would have to go down there in the middle of these cops and say, wait a minute, I just have a feeling this lady's down here. And I didn't want to look stupid. And I realized later, I didn't have to do all that. I could have just checked quietly. Mm. I didn't have to make a big production, which in my head is like, was which my anxiety was thinking I had to do. Stop, stop, there's a lady in. And then either I'm crazy or I'm going to look right. You know, she's 50-50. But I could have just casually just went and checked. You know, like you hear something outside banging around. Oh, that's just whatever. And then later, somebody's at your door with a whatever, you know, a threat. A threat's mm -mm. there. Or somebody's laying out there hurt and has been calling for help and you didn't hear. You know, you just don't know. I mean, it's our gut. Um, I think it's too bad we don't le learn to listen to our gut when we're kids. You know, our parents just kind of dismiss so much. Mm -hmm. You know, even a child saying, you know, there's somebody under my bed. Or, you know, there's something in the closet. You know, all, you know everything's imagination. A lot of my clients struggle with speaking, like speaking their truth, being themselves especially on camera. And I think the Bible calls it the fear of man. Have you ever heard that term, the fear of man? Uh -uh. It's like this, this, like if you were, um, 
in Bible times, you'd have the fear of man, so you wouldn't speak the truth in public because you're afraid of what other people are going to think, what their reactions are going to be. And certain times throughout history, I mean, if you got up and spoke your truth, you'd be thrown to the lions. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, um, a protective fear, right? Are they live when they're on camera? There's live, yeah. See, I, I can't do live. I freeze. I mean, I can do it. I don't like to. Like right now, it's recording and I'm relaxed. If it's right. live, I feel like there's me and eyes on me. And right yep. now, I feel like it's just me and you. Yeah. That's, it puts a lot of pressure because you don't know what's going to happen. Something could go wrong. But we're afraid of, of looking stupid. We're afraid of um, sounding crazy, um, of really being present. Yeah. I struggled, you know, like my, when I went to Irons Conference, I was 17, and um, here's this big audience, and here I'm sitting in this panel, and there's three other people, and this guy beside me is from New York, he's in a suit, and um, they, they all had their turn to pass the microphone to me. I almost froze and bolted. I mean, we had left work, good pay and pipeline. Me and my husband both worked on that job and left work for a week. He was steward, so they had to basically shut the job down. I mean, we went through a lot to go from Ohio to um, Colorado to do this, and I'm ready to bolt. And that's all I could think about all, for months was to do this, right? Tell my, you know, praise God, tell my story. And um, I'd already made it easy on myself because I could read my poems. I wrote about my experiences instead of just like talking like I am because I knew I didn't have the nerve for that. And I almost bolted. And then I thought, wait a minute. This isn't about me. This is about God. I'm doing this for him. It's about the message that God wants to come through me and nothing about me. Not about what I look like, what I sound like, what people think about me. The mm. message is important. Not me. And so whenever I did talks after that, I would just say a prayer beforehand. And and it worked every time. I was got on a stage or into a group or whatever it was. And it I'm back here. And it just it's effortless and perfect. I don't have to judge it. I don't have to stutter. Just like I'm talking to you right now. It's not pre-planned. We didn't know what we were going to talk about, right? And it just comes out of your heart and it goes and you just let it go and it'll be perfect because you know, when you're in that flow and in that knowing, not from your thinking and your imagination, but from your, from that place. Hmm. And, and it's, I don't know. It feels yeah, great. And, and when you're, when you're on a mission that's bigger than yourself, yeah, it kind of put, gives you that push that I need to do this. Yeah. And I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm not trying to save anybody. I'm not trying to get anybody to believe this, this, and everything. I'm just telling my truth. And then happens what happens. You know, of course. So not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like you. Oh, no. Uh -uh. People tell me to shut up. I just read before I come on here this morning. Another person, last video I did, someone on there told me to shut up. Quit talking about my experiences. And then we, okay, I really do. I think I do need to shut up and start talking about you know, I let people talk. I really try. But then when you ask, you asked about my NDEs, like, here we go. <laughs> so. Well, it's a conversation, right? Yeah. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's 
It's about the content. And we're having a conversation. Like you said, this isn't pre-planned. We're sharing. And when you said about your seeing your life as if you had died, I was immediately like in that realm. I was just like, to hell with everybody else, what they say and what they think and da 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 da. No, 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 we're going there. We got to explore this. We got to talk about this. We got to get in there. And you know, my, my son, Jeremy, when he was little, he would pick up anything and just, you know, he's going to see how it works, <laughs> you know, and he's highly intelligent. And I mean, he just had to see how things work. And, and I, some, most things bore me. But when you said that, I was like, <laughs> oh, we got to, we got to look at this. <laughs> What's going on here? Cause this well, is I'm, gl I'm glad I shared that to your group. Pardon me? I'm glad I shared that to your group. Yeah. Because it gave us the opportunity to come on here and discuss it. Because, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking, how does that happen? You know, and now I can say, not just me, but we, you and I, we were shown a reality that never existed because that didn't happen. And I'm like, how does that work? Mm. How did that? Because God showed us something in the future. And, you know, like years later, I was watching for the umpteenth time and never thought of it before the Christmas Carol. I'm like, wait a minute, paused it. It was like, wait a minute. I told my husband, this right here, th this, 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 this is what like in my NDE I was shown. Cause, and like yours, you know, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 here, here it is, here it is. Because it's not something I see out here in my everyday world that I can say, oh yeah, I did that. You know, oh, I went to the beach too, or oh, I went to Kroger's too. You know, I went to a little, you know, something familiar everybody's done. But to find that thing that you experienced that nobody else did, and the only connection I had before was, look at there in a Christmas Carol. I wonder if that guy had an NDE that, you know, wrote it. Because how did he know this could happen? And then the Star Wars, that they wrote that whole hologram, and you were talking about like that, and I'm thinking, that's God. How did the writers of Star Wars know that? Where did they get that intelligence? Is there some UFO documents or something that they took stuff from for, to, to make Star Wars? Because that's exactly God right there. Mm. That he can just poof, here's the scenario. Like I don't have the ability to, okay, I'm gonna show you exactly what my drowning was like. Poof, and then you sit back and see it, not just the image, but the actual event as it happened. Or my drowning, I can't see, or my, um, you know, my other NDEs or any experience. I can just go, okay, here, you watch this. This is what happened. But God has that ability. And this is the creator of the universe. That, yeah. you know, every blade of grass and every rock, you know, ocean, er, our atmosphere, everything. And maybe, and maybe there are alternate timelines that, that God exists above and beyond these timelines. And he comes in and um, like helps people get onto a path where it's going to create a more positive future reality that maybe the, the, these future realities already exist, but he is helping us manifest particular realities that are more positive and beneficial. I don't know. All I know is, you know, I wonder if that future that we were shown actually exists or if it was averted. You know, 
along those lines, I even allowed myself to wonder, am I alive now? Did I actually die back then? And God can create a universe to where I continued living. I mean, I have actually went wow. there. <laughs> I never thought of that before. And is there a universe where I did die and my sons grew up in this different? I don't know. But my mind, you know, does search for answers. For so things. what did you say? You you wondered if you had actually died, but you're yeah. continuing um, on. Yeah, because I was never able to conceive again. And I'm thinking, well, if you had actually died, you wouldn't have been able to like produce on this earth. You know, I, my mind goes places, questions. And then I'm thinking, what if this life is God let me live a life in the world, but I actually died then. And actually, and then I even wonder, what if part of me died then and is in heaven with those aborted, not aborted, oh my God, that word, miss the um, ectopic pregnancy children, and then I miscarried, which I found out later is actually another ectopic, and I had miscarriages after that, that they said all were um, dissolved in my tube. They were actually all ectopic that dissolved in my tube, and because um, it was all about two months. And what if I am a part, another part of me is in heaven with those babies. And when I actually die, this body dies. What if I'm like, oh, you were always here all along and you raised those children in heaven. And you also got to raise these. My mind does. It asks a lot of questions that I don't have answers for. Yeah. It's interesting. Interesting because to think about. Once you've experienced, you know, what you and I did. You are like in a whole world of possibilities when you've yeah. seen a life where you didn't exist. <clears throat> you know, and my boys was look like the same age, you know, with this. So I thought it couldn't have been that far in the future. Sorry, my cat's making noise. Um, and so it couldn't have been that far in the future. So, you know, I do. What was that? Because all of our memories in our mind are of the past. I have one and you have one that was in the future where we no longer existed. And how do you put that in your mental framework that makes sense of life? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you were saying earlier you were filled with gratitude. That's Not probably... right away, though. Right away, I was anger, angry. Mm -hmm. I was I wanted those twins. You know, I was due in December. I wanted to come home, you know, from the hospital in that wheelchair and into the car with a baby in each arm. And I still want that to this day, you know. I still want them. And then I miscarried the next month. And then did not get pregnant again for seven years until we were going through divorce. And my ex was so mad that we were pregnant because that meant more child support. He didn't want any more kids anyway. And here I, and then it, I knew it was another tool pregnancy. And my doctor listened to me. Because he, he knew if Peggy says she's had a pregnancy, she's had a pregnancy. So I had to have actually surgery that time, the second time for a dual pregnancy. Um, and he said, Peggy, all I see on the ultrasound is, is shadows when I went to the emergency room. And he, but the pain I was having, I said, I know it's a dual pregnancy. And he says, if you're wrong and I do surgery, it will it'll kill you know, kill the baby. And so I would not have took that taken that chance if I didn't know for 100%. And so he did it, and it was another tool pregnancy. And mm -hmm. so by now, my, my tube I have remaining is so scarred from tubal ligation and tubal reversal, and a, now a tubal pregnancy surgery again. And they say a woman's tube is like a pencil, but the inside of the tube is actually like the pencil lead. 
you know, it's that looks like that big, like a pencil, but the actual tube inside that, you know, things go through is actually like a lead. And this had scar tissue. Mm. And so I remarried, love of my life, my soulmate, and we got pregnant every spring for three years and miscarry. And so I went to a fertility expert and he said, every time you got pregnant, it was in the tube and your body dissolved it. And he hmm. said, there was no way you could have even got pregnant, but I did, but I lost it. But you know, my hope is that they're in heaven, you know, and then we had IVF and I made 20 embryos, 19 fertilized. They put five in and none of them survived. Not even mm. the ones in the laboratory, not the ones they put in. None of them survived. So I'm hoping those are there in heaven too, you know? And so, so I'm so pro-life and she wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yes, you are about to experience the most amazing day of your life when you have that baby. Yeah. He could come as soon as next week. So awesome. we're very excited and a little scared of course um but excited we've got the nursery all set up it's it's an adventure and it's one of the things i've always wanted but <clears throat> i had to go through a lot of dark places in order to get to this point and it's like uh, i just want to let people know that um that god is real and that there are spiritual resources that you can draw on, techniques that you can use um, to really overcome your your past traumas, your resentments, your fears, your insecurities. All of that can really be dealt with, but it just requires a willingness to um, get outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, and like we said, you know, to make something bigger than yourself. Believe in something bigger than you. And yeah. you know, we really lose the ego and focus on um, what's important. Yeah. And you're about to find that out. <laughs> your sleep, <laughs> your comfort, <laughs> your independence, it's gone. <laughs> Joy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'll never forget uh, my first son when he was born, and you know, as as a the wife, you know, the mother, you you can't wait to see because we we had cesarean, it was emergency C-section. I'm sorry, these cats or kittens are playing with this box, and um, so here's first time they come in and, and hand my husband comes and he and he put the baby in his arms. And he looks at the baby and you're watching his face. What does he think of his baby? And he went, and I looked at him, what's wrong? And he had just diarrhea everywhere down there. Oh. The moment he held him, it just went everywhere. And so that was, and we laughed, you know, because that's what having a baby is. That's what life is. It is <clears throat> wonderful and messy. Yeah. And humor helps Yeah, big time. Like we, why are we all so serious all the time? Right. Getting in touch with that inner child. Yeah. Just being happy, like laughing at things. Yeah. That feels good. It helps with life in general. Like, oh my God, there's a big pile of laundry. <laughs> there's a big pile of dishes. 
We're eating hot dogs three days in a row. Just laugh. It's all good. Exactly. Because so many people aren't given this, you know, what we're given. Yeah. Well, luckily you've started this t- this show, you know. People are watching and they're listening and it's given them courage to share their stories. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, you know, somebody great. was playing in a comment this morning I read about, well, that guy, he didn't... Um, or who, girl, whoever it was, they didn't explain their story enough. And you need to have them back on and they need to redo it. And I like to hear this and that. And I didn't want to hear that, blah, blah. And I'm like, so self-centered. You know, I don't care. This, what we're doing right now is as much for me as it is for you, as it is for the people listening, you know? I'm not, this isn't a movie. This isn't Dr. Oz. This isn't about you got to have everything perfect and and follow a script and certain questions set up. And I'm going to have these graphics out here falsely portraying what you just say you saw. It's not going to have anything to do with what you actually saw, right? I mean, it's just the way I do it. Mm -hmm. And so I matter. My experiences matter. You matter. Your experiences, you know. And then the audience, they get to watch. And if it matters to them, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know. But there's so much more important than just the story. I mean, I think we all need to dig deeper and find commonalities. And because to me, I've come to see that what these experiences show is God's personality. You know, what you experienced shows me God's personality. And every guest I've had on, and I listen to their experience, I'm seeing God's personality. You know, he's a little say, harsh say with m- this one. Say more. Like, with my experience that I shared, um, what about that experience shows God's personality? Well, what was you told? <clears throat> you messed up your life. That shows God's authority. That, and that shows a father. You messed up, son. You messed up. And once you see this, what your mom would have felt. They wanted me to see what my son was going to feel. I asked mm-hmm. for it, though. You know, if my sons were better off. But you were shown. And what better way to straighten up your son, your daughter, than to, you know, say, for example, um, they um, were drinking and driving. Oh, you think that's funny? You think that's cool? Look at this person here. You know, say Google and fight up a car accident. They're in a wheelchair. This person died. Look at this mother saying how her babies were killed in this car wreck from a drunk driver. Now, you think that is funny. Hmm. Tell me now how you think that's funny. Um, people think drugs is, are funny. Um, let's take a look at how many children are in foster care because of drugs. Think about those babies going to a new home and saying, this is your new home. This is your new school. Think about that. Think about if you were a child and suddenly you were taken out of your home and your brothers and sisters and taken to this new home and said, this is your new family now. What if they mistreated you or abused you? Or even if they didn't, even if they were the worst people or the most wonderful people in the world and they had an indoor pool and a mansion and you come from a crappy old trailer somewhere, you still want your mommy and daddy. 
Even if your mommy and daddy weren't the best mommy and daddy, that was your mommy and daddy. And I had 60 foster kids, and we adopted 10. And let me tell you, those older kids that you adopt, I mean, we had the nice home. They had the new clothes. They had everything, I mean, that you could give them. They weren't their mom and dad and their grandma and grandpa and their aunts and uncles and their cousins. And they didn't like feeling like everybody at school, you're a foster child. Your parents didn't want you. You know, all these things. What do they do at 18? They go back. Not all of them. I'm not saying, you know, but ours. They went back and sought out those biological parents. And I had to learn to share or I'd lose them. But what some of them got on heroin and lost their kids because their biological mom was on heroin. And she taught them how to do heroin. So yeah. <clears throat> that's terrible. We were, so it's like, um, we weren't spared the pain of, of seeing the truth. You know what I mean? Like sometimes right. the pain, the, the truth can be painful to see. Yeah. We were on a butterfly wing, you know, and seeing rainbows. Some people see rainbows and butterflies and all this one. We weren't. No. We were shown something that we needed. Right. So like a teacher. Yeah. You were talking about um, God's personality. And th that these near-death experiences show us different aspects of God's personality. Yeah. So part of it is that teacher. Yeah. Spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, I was shown, I was acting like a spoiled child. Demanding what I want. I'm sorry. Can you hear this cat making this noise? I hope it's just me. It's not bad. Okay. I can't stop them. They're I can hear crazy. them a little bit, but it's okay. <laughs> they are absolutely going insane. Um, but, you know, I was shown a father's, and, and I heard God's voice when I first got to heaven, when I seen the panel of people, and I said, oh, that's, uh, that has to be God, because it's still just like an outline, but one sitting up front and center. So in my mind, that has to be God. And so I started screaming at him. I heard God's voice. It's a male, loving, authoritative voice. And we communicated telepathic. And, you know, did I see his face? No. Did I see even, you know, more than just the outline? No. But, you know, I'll never forget that, you know, I was told it was my time. The answer was no. And that was male, firm, and loving. But I had my say, too. And... um. I just love my boys too much, you know, and like even Mary Neal and some of them, I feel kind of bad because they say they feel guilty now that the cats, they're, um, that they wanted to stay, even though they love, they, I mean, she was an orthopedic surgeon and her husband, I think was a doctor and they lived had this high life, you know, wealthy and had these, she had like four kids at home and she, she wanted to stay and a lot of them want to stay. And I'm, I'm glad, hindsight, that I wasn't shown anything beautiful and wonderful because my personality, I tend to, tend to be a little suicidal. This is my personality. And um, like even my drowning at five years old, after I was rescued and, you know, my parents and my family went on up the hill and left me standing here on the road like as a dog, I remembered everything that just happened. I was flying down the highway. I was trying to talk to these other kids and they couldn't hardly hear me. And I was running around playing with these other kids and they didn't know I was there. I was going in our houses, you know, I was doing all this stuff. 
And I like being a ghost kid. And now, and also too, during the journey, and I was told my family doesn't love me. I was told God sends children here to be loved. That's why God sends them here. And I'm like, wait a minute. You just told me my family don't love me. Now you tell me that. Well, that ain't right. You know, I'm a spunky little brat. And I'm like, that ain't right. So when I come back from the drowning, I'm standing alone on this road. My family goes up. I'm like, oh my gosh, they don't love me. I just, I, I was just dead. And I coughed off water down my brother's back as he carried my dead body. And, <laughs> and so I'm thinking, ah, why would I go up to the house that family doesn't love me? I choose, sorry, <laughs> I gotta get rid of this. There, <laughs> scared. <him. laughs> and why would I? Why would I choose that? I choose to go back to the pond. You know, I didn't know the word suicide, but I was choosing I'm gonna go die because I want to go back to what I was doing. That was pretty cool. If the family don't love me, why would I go up there? And I took one step forward, and an angel that spoke to me that I didn't see during the drowning, she now appeared. And during the drowning, um, when I was just hovering above the pond, I thought, well, if I can hover, I guess I can fly. Should I go this way or should I go that way? And she appeared in voice only and said, no, don't go yet. If they find you soon, you might go back. And I thought, because I'm a brat, go back. That's not how death works. You don't go back. Right? Really funny now. And I thought, you don't go, you don't go back. And so I thought I'd be good for a while, but you know, I don't have to listen to anybody now. I don't have to go in at dark. I don't have to eat my vegetables. I don't have, I won't get in trouble. You know, I don't have to listen to any adults or anybody. Who is she? And so that's when I start going around. And so, so I'm thinking, I want to go back there. So then she appears on the road and she again says, no, don't. And I says, why? You know, they don't love me. And she says, well, you'll have a lot of love someday. And I said, where will I find it? Because I didn't want her to leave. I wanted to ask more questions so she wouldn't leave. And she pointed right towards Belpre. And um, so, you know, I went back up to the house and realized I was a different kid then immediately. How we talk about being different after NDE. Five years older, I, I was a different kid immediately. And like I say, I didn't remember any of this until after my second NDE. It, it always showed everything. And um, so I went back to bed. I went to bed. And I got my bathing suit, got on my nightgown. I picked up, it has a stack of books there. And uh, there's one of nursery rhymes. And I flipped to my favorite one, which was The Old Woman Lived in a Shoe. And I was flipping through. And all of a sudden, I looked at those beds lined up in that room. The woman had all the kids. She didn't know what to do. And something let me know I was going to have a lot of kids someday. Maybe an orphanage. But I was going to love unloved kids like me. And I, of course, I forgot all about that, you know. Like, what are you going to do with that? You're, you're little. And then you know, other spiritual things happened. Even though I didn't understand what they were. At five years old, I can look back and, you know, like, spiritual things happened. But later on in life, when I, after the 60 foster kids, and we adopted 10. And so we had these nine kids. Because the first one was the nephew we adopted as little. And so here... <laughs> One Christmas, I told my husband, I was like, hey, let's turn the living room in the basement into this one big room for the girls. And we went and bought them brand new matching canopy beds, white canopy beds, like off-white, and, and um, the matching dressers. We spent a lot of money on this, right? We like took it alone. And I got, I've always wanted a canopy bed when I was a kid, and we were poor. And so we got each individual different colors and types of, um, you know, the canopy tops and the bedspreads. It was beautiful. 
I painted it purple and put a flower border on it. And I went down by myself one day to look at it because like Christmas was going to be the next day or something. I stood back and looked how beautiful it was. All of a sudden, that memory come back to me of the beds and the old woman living in the shoe and that I was going to love kids that was unwanted. And here I had adopted these. And I'm like, God, you're so funny. Just saw God's personality. God, you had this plan for me all along. All the miscarriages, all the ectopic pregnancies, the divorce, this new husband and fostering these kids and adopted. Like wow. this was all meant to be this moment. This That's was incredible. all meant to be. And, you know, the things ain't fairy tale. They don't always turn out right. They leave you and go to the biological and become hair addicts. And, you know what I mean? Life is messy. Just like, you know, my ex holding that baby. And, oh, beautiful baby boy. <laughs> you know, life has a way of shitting on you. <laughs> but that's incredible, incredible story. Yeah. And I stood there in awe, thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, God, you're so funny. You know, that I'd put this together. And then the next thought come to me was my ex, he always said, our property is shaped like a boot. And it is. If you look at our property outline, it's shaped like a boot. And it just like come to me like it's an extra added little gift. Like God put in my mind. Yeah, and I'll show you how much this was planned. Your property is shaped like a boot. A woman lived in a shoe. God's so funny. <clears throat> and you feel you feel the truth of it. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Like what? Like I have a sister that um, my mom says she started lying the day she learned to talk. She's a compulsive liar. And so I oh I grew up hating lies. Absolutely hating lies because I was always hurt by her lies. And I mean, she, she hurt me bad with lies. And um, so I hated them. Like, I wouldn't even go in the fiction section in a library when I was a kid. I get that away from me. Like, it was like awful. And I want to go nonfiction. I've always, like, I don't even watch true stories. You know, I only care about the truth. And so it really come in handy, you know, being an investigator and all kinds of things. And in my life of being a good person, I try to be, you know, I try to really stand with truth. I hate lies. And I really felt God help me out with that because I don't feel I'm really intelligent. And I have a short-term memory problem. I don't think I could make up a lie if I tried. Like, you would catch me up in the next sentence. Like, I, I suck at it. You know, I tried when I was little, and I realized really early, you really, really suck at lying. Like, that's your sister's department. <laughs> and so... I mean, if people live their lives in truth, and like even, I'm going off on tangent, but like soap operas, you know, I would sit there and watch it. It's like, why don't people just tell the truth? There's all these secrets and manipulation and come on, people. But I, I just go off. I'm sorry. <laughs> we can bypass all of that drama, right? You're right. By just being upfront and honest and straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it, it will, you will be able to tap into what's true in your spirituality if you live a truthful life if you're constantly knowing the difference between the truth and lie the truth and fantasy you know so much new age stuff i see and i'm like people that's all fantasy show me the evidence because i'm not seeing it and it, a lot of it takes away from god because when people come on my podcast and tell me their beautiful near-death experience but then they turn around into books they've read or people groups they've been around and they <clears throat> decipher it through like there's no God. 
but they are God. And they hold the power and gifts. And go to them if you want answers. If you want to learn how to have gifts. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not my truth. My truth is God created all of these experiences. And every one of these experiences where they believe in God, where they believe in heaven. Because you know, some will come back and say, well, I don't think that was God. I think it was the source. What's the source? Or they believe in reincarnation. I mean, I'm just personally, huh? You know, and they don't want to believe in hell. But then I have people come on and say they've been there and stuff. I'm not going to say mm. they're a liar. I'm not going to call anybody who comes to my show a liar. You know, it's just like, I may not agree with that. I may not see it that way. But I can try and see it, like maybe reincarnation. I can meet you halfway. Once we reincarnation, meet you halfway and say, well, maybe sometimes, but, you know, maybe if people are given a choice, but all the time, or maybe I can see that maybe our ancestors are all living through us in some way, if mm -hmm. they choose, because we all have their DNA and they're in heaven, but may, but you feel like they're with you. And who do you see? Most people say they see when they have NDEs, like grandma, usually, or grandpa, some relative. And, and, you know, even, you know, we get, I get on tangent about foster care and adoption. Those bonds, those kids have with those people has no reflection on me, whether I was a good mom to them or not, a good friend to them. It has to do with that biological nature that connect. I mean, my mom's horrible, 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 mean person, but I've had that biological connection to take care of her. Mm -hmm. to try and, and forgive and try to still be there anyway. Just because she's a bad mom don't mean I have to be a bad daughter, you know. And then recently I finally realized I'm nobody's daughter. I set myself free of that. I'm nobody's daughter. I, I just released the chains. I'm not obligated to do anything there anymore. So, but I really appreciate talking to you. You're a good listener. Thank <laughs> You've you. You've been a wonderful guest. <laughs> I like listening. I'm absorbing it. And I have a lot of thoughts and I tend not to share my thoughts because um, I just like to take in the when someone's speaking, I like to be there present and just listen. Yeah. And, and your experience will be different than mine. You're in a different generation. The information you've been surrounded with and have gravitated to is mm -hmm. different than what I find helps me. And you're going to find what helps you. And that's what it's all about is that we all find our own path and we don't have to agree. It's only one way and that's it because we can see God has multiple, 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 and we can even see in the future, you know, a different reality. We know mm. how open-minded God is. Yeah. So, and like our kids, like if you have 20 kids, they're all going to be different, even though they got the same DNA, the same parents, they're all going to be different. They're all going to think different ways. And that doesn't mean you stop loving them or stop treating them with respect and insist that they all be one way and dress the same and, you know, take the same career or whatever, you know. Yeah. Everybody has different personality, different belief structure, different experiences. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I've really taken over your interview. No, that's but okay. Is there that's anything fine. you feel you didn't get to talk about that you wanted to? I don't think so. I think I got it. completely wore you out. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you have company. 
And um, I want you to have a wonderful visit and a wonderful weekend. And congratulations on that beautiful baby. Thank you. Thank you. I'll send you a picture. Thank you. When he's born. Thank you. It's a boy? Boy. Awesome. What's his name? Daniel. Daniel. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.